It's football. I've been watching it for 40 years. Are you kidding me? You're listening to Winning Cures Everything. Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host. A confident young man. A superb athlete. Gary Sagers. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome in. Winning Cures Everything. It is the Sunday, uh, September 4th edition of the show. I'm your host, Gary Seegers. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. Hopefully, everybody had a good opening to the college football season. The bets were not as uh, easy this time around, for sure. For those that watched the BetUS College Football Show, I went 3-2, and two, while the other two gentlemen went 2-2, two and two, or yeah, 2-2 two and two and 3-3, three and three respectively. So, uh, yeah, you know, you're going to have those weeks. This was a tough one to figure out. We we got to get some we got to get some information about these teams, right? We got to learn some things. Uh, but we have got a lot to discuss. Let me first start out and let you know that the show is powered by BetUS. It is America's online sports book. They are absolutely fantastic. You go over to betus.com. It is where the game begins. That is where you need to go for all your sports gambling uh, fixes. <laughs> you, you need to gamble in a game, that's where you need to go. So go ahead and check it out, betus.com. Along with that, go check out the web store. Make sure that you are subscribed to the show, whether you're watching on YouTube or wherever else. Uh, anybody that is in the chat or that is watching live, if you want to jump into the chat, obviously you can see uh, we've got the chat on the screen, so you'll be able to see all of that. But like the video for us, subscribe to the channel, share it out, Jump in the chat, jump in the comments. We love all of it. All of it helps. And uh, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast as well. All right. We're not going to waste a whole lot of time because we got to get through just a ton. Because what a fantastic weekend. I mean, just a full slate of games. The afternoon games were, eh, if you didn't know what you were looking for, Houston UTSA was awesome. Uh, Cincinnati, Arkansas ended up being I will admit, a lot tighter than I thought, uh, but there were a lot of injuries, etc. We're going to talk about quite a bit of this, quite a bit. So let's go ahead and start off with this. Uh, by the way, this is episode number 992. So we got eight more to hit 1,000, and I'm pretty excited about that because I've been doing this show since 2016, the year that I got married. This year, next weekend, actually, will be my sixth wedding anniversary so, uh, yeah, I, I will still be watching games <laughs> next weekend, but, uh, but we do have some things planned around it, uh, especially on Sunday, etc. So, uh, let's talk about the first topic here, and that would be, make sure I write down my times, of course. The first thing that we're going to bring up is the most exciting games of the weekend, and a lot of these you guys did not even know were going on. But I'm going to tell you, this is based on the excitement index over at GameOnPaper.com. Now, each one of these different games has win probabilities on every play. Like, as the game goes along, the win probability changes. It shifts depending on what's happening in the game, right? And the more that that thing shifts, the more exciting, quote-unquote, the game is. So, a lot of it has to do with uh, special teams plays, uh, <laughs> Kong for Life jumps in. Please explain to me the Iowa botch job. No, we're, we're going to get to Iowa. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, Iowa, by the way, was not one of the more exciting games. I, I will tell you that. But the way that this exciting games metric works is uh, the 
win probabilities. It can be based on explosive plays. It can be based on turnovers. Uh, all these different things that can change the win probability, the outcome of a game. So here are your top five. Number five here was Penn State at Purdue. And if you watched that one on Thursday night, you saw just how much of a momentum shift it was from play to play, it felt like. It felt like Purdue had that thing wrapped up at certain points. It felt like Penn State had that thing wrapped up. And just as just as Purdue it seemed to have won the ball game late, uh, they decided not to run it and, and gave Penn State life, and they took advantage. So Penn State number five. Number four, West Virginia at Pitt. That one got an 11.33. Uh, Penn State and Purdue, by the way, was 10.96 on the excitement index. Uh, West Virginia Pitt, 11.33. Yeah, I mean, it changed drastically over and over and over again because you couldn't figure out who exactly was in control of that ballgame. So the pick six really, I mean, that swung things just way, way, way over. Um, William and Mary at Charlotte was number three. Uh, That is 11.54 on this, and... It wasn't particularly close. I think the issue here was that the like Charlotte was expected to win the game, but nothing they they could not get anything done with that offense uh, without Chris Reynolds. This is a bad bad football team. Number two, St. Francis at Akron. Now this one at Joe Moorhead. Congratulations, uh, Joe Mo got it done. Pretty awesome, I thought. Uh, but yeah, that was a 13.7 on the excitement index. And then number one was Bryant at FIU. That one also on a Thursday night. Uh, Mike McIntyre does, in fact, win his um, his debut down at FIU. But that was a, I mean, last second, you know, had to win based on an interception in overtime. Uh, I think on a two-point conversion. I don't remember because I could not find the game to even watch it. But, uh, but yeah, those are the top five most exciting games. And, I mean, I, there were so many more exciting games this weekend. God, it was so awesome. So I was surprised that Houston UTSA didn't make this list. But uh, regard Liberty and Southern Miss, I mean, all of these, just unbelievable. All right, we're not going to talk about the most dominant wins because, my God, there were a 1,000 of them, right? It was just a ton of dominant wins. And what we're going to do instead is talk about the most unlikely wins. Uh, and I'm not going to spend long on this, but I will tell you. Uh, number five, Indiana 23, or excuse me, Illinois 20. Uh, Indiana had a 10% postgame win expectancy in this game based on these statistics. Uh, but th- this is turnovers, right? Turnovers. Uh, Akron 30, St. Francis 23. That was an overtime game. We already talked about that with uh, with Joe Moorhead. Uh, Akron was outgained, outplayed, out everything in this game. Uh, 8% win expectancy for Akron in that one. Liberty, 29. Southern Miss, 27. Liberty had a 7% win expectancy at the end of this game. Uh, Old Dominion, 20. Virginia Tech, 17. Old Dominion, a 1% postgame win expectancy here. And San Jose State, 21. Portland State, 17 on Thursday night. A 1% postgame win expectancy for San Jose State. Portland State kind of dominated that football game. All right, let's get into actual games. Let's talk about what actually went on on Saturday uh, and and some, of course, on Friday night, but we'll talk about the big one first. Ohio State taking on Notre Dame, and I bet this one didn't go the way that the majority of you thought it would, did it? 
Uh, this was 21 to 10, Ohio State wins at the shoe. But I, I will tell you, I didn't see this at all. Now, I didn't bet on this game, but man, uh, let's, let's pop this thing up here. Let's look at some of the stats. Uh, offensive yards per play, obviously Ohio State won that. Total yards, um, <laughs> Conk said Louisville, direct opposite. Yeah, I, I don't even have Louisville to talk about, but we can chat on it at the end of the show. Uh, total yards, Ohio State, 410 to 283. Neither team had a turnover. Both teams had 13 third down attempts. 53.85% is what Ohio State hit. Uh, scoring opportunities, that's drives inside the 40. Ohio State with five of those to only three for Notre Dame. Notre Dame's offense could not get anything going outside of that one drive that they were really successful on in that first half. Uh, 4.2 points per scoring opportunity for Ohio State, and uh, and they had a little bit better field position. Uh, they, you know, you look at the stat sheet, it kind of looks like they dominated. Um, this was a different kind of win. And Ryan Day did tell us, like he said, you know, if you, this is this is what we're going to do, right? We we have to establish the line of scrimmage. He said it earlier in the week, and I don't think anybody really paid attention to him. Um, at least I didn't, because you you see all those weapons, you see what they're doing, and you think now this yeah, like we this is what we expect is the Rose Bowl, right? And yeah, they're they're going to be a little soft, but that's okay because they'll make up for it with explosivity. Right, but they didn't. They there was no explosiveness. Now, obviously, it is important that we mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba. Of course, went out in this game. He had two catches for three yards. Um, it was it was strange, right? Because we don't know exactly what's going on there. Uh, I'm curious, you guys that are in the chat or, or that are watching live. I'm curious what your thoughts were on this offense. I mean, they ran the ball like they they decided that they were going to. Uh, go to the line of scrimmage, and they were going to make this thing. Uh, they, they did it on defense, which, by the way, Jim Knowles' defense, how awesome was that? It's like they have already got this thing figured out. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a fun, fun ball game to watch just schematically, right? Um, looking at the Ohio State receiving, uh, Xavier Johnson here, two receptions, 34 yards. He had that one touchdown. This was a former walk-on. He thought he was going to shock everybody. I saw all the stories afterwards uh, when he came in as a freshman. But, man, uh, just awesome. Like, just just awesome to see him get that opportunity uh, to make that play like that. Uh, C.J. Stroud, I was I was not overly impressed with. 24 out of 34, 223 yards and two touchdowns. Like, he, a very, I'm not going to say pedestrian. How about working like? That's a, a very working man uh, evening at the office, right? It, it was pretty good. Now, on the other side, Notre Dame, all the props in the world. All the props in the world for them because they were able to do things defensively. They dared Ohio State to run the ball. Uh, they they dropped back multiple guys over and over. They, they dropped two safeties. The only time that I bet Al Golden really wishes he had something back was, of course, the, the double safety blitz when C.J. Stroud hit him over the top, right? That's the one, and that's the one that, of course, went to Xavier Williams there. Um, but yeah, I I still, or excuse me, Xavier Johnson, I still don't know exactly what to make of uh, either one of these teams because I still don't think Notre Dame is very good on offense. I knew that they would have 
plans on defense, but also wonder if maybe Ohio State went out to prove something more so than to just win the football game. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense. They, I think Ohio State had plenty of opportunities. Uh, I just don't think that they took advantage of those. And I, if you're telling me that Jackson Smith and Jigba is the only way that this offense is explosive, I just can't buy that. Like, it, it really doesn't make any sense to me. So, either way, Ohio State gets the win, and uh, and we'll jump off of that one and, and move over to the Florida Gators because we do have Crispy jumping in who said, hey, man, do you think this Florida loss really hits Utah's playoff chances? Um, and I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah, yeah, I think, I think it hurts because I think that you need it a win like this on the resume. Now, of course, you've got USC, you've got Oregon, but Oregon getting absolutely blasted, which we're going to hit on that in a minute, definitely didn't help things, right? Now, I mean, obviously, you you win uh, the rest of your games. Yeah, you're probably going to make it into the playoff, I would imagine, but man. All right, so uh, Kane Cards jumped in. I should have avoided FAU week one. was more of a testament of how bad Charlotte is, not FAU being good. Yeah, that that we I, I got I got caught on that one. I got caught on that one. Um all right. Let's uh let's move over to the Gators here. Uh in this, you know, third rushing touchdown of the night for Anthony Richardson. Uh this is via Kendra Douglas uh over at W E S H here. But uh but just, you know, that was the game winning touchdown. That was the one. That was the thing. Let's uh let's look at some of the stats here. Uh scroll it back down here. So Florida, let's uh, let's discuss the stats. Um, da, 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 Seven point eight three offensive yards per play for Florida, four hundred fifty one total yards to only four forty six there. Uh, only one turnover for Florida to two for Utah. Um, Utah had a better third down percentage. Florida went forward on fourth down twice and got both of them, which you can do when you got a dude like Anthony Richardson. Uh, seven scoring opportunities, seven drives inside the opponent's 40 for Utah to only four for Florida, but Florida had 5.25 points per scoring opportunity to only 3.86 for Utah here. And Utah, their starting field position was 10 yards better than Florida's. I mean, that is just absurd. Uh, this, it, Anthony Richardson is just a different kind of dude. It, it's, it is, I, I, I hesitate to compare it, but man, does he remind you of Cam Newton, the way that he can throw the ball, the way he can pass it. And I'm so curious, what was it about Dan Mullen's offense that wouldn't allow Anthony Richardson to just explode? Because I'd said last year that I thought Anthony Richardson was the better quarterback, and I have talked all offseason on the BetUS show, on here, etc. When Billy Napier was hired, that offense that Billy Napier runs with uh, with Rob Sale is tailor-made for a quarterback like Anthony Richardson. It highlights all of his best features, all of his best qualities as a quarterback, and, and hides some of the deficiencies. So if you're Dan Mullen, who was there last year, why would you not reshape the offense? That is the sign of a good coach, is reshaping the offense to fit it around the talent that you've got. I just don't understand how. And yes, Anthony Richardson is another year older now, etc. But, whew, uh, just completely different here. 
Utah, uh, the story of the game here is just you, you get first and goal twice and come away with zero points. Now, I understand that you're on the road, but, I mean, that's the that's the story of the game. That's how you lose that game. 29-26 to 26 final, and, and you had two goal line opportunities that you did not score on. I mean, that is just, that is brutal. Absolutely brutal. Uh, but yeah, looking looking at, of course, the win probability, et cetera, this was, you know, a pretty exciting game because it went back and forth, as you can see there on the screen. This is a, via gameonpaper.com. They, uh, they keep up with all this. I mean, the expected points, both of these offenses were great. They were awesome. Um, Soft of the earth jumps in, play with what you got. Yeah. Uh, Kane Cards jumped in. I agree, Gary. Mullen can recruit quarterbacks. Why was Emory Jones playing last year? That's the question. Like, and, and yeah, Emory Jones may have been a little bit better passer last year, but man, you better reshape that offense. Like, Dan Mullen, you figured out a way to make Nick Fitzgerald or successful. I mean, what are we talking about? Like, Joe Moorhead couldn't figure out a way to do that. <laughs> I mean, just unbelievable. So, yeah, it's, it's irritating. It's irritating, but, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, the Anthony Richardson numbers here, uh, just... Just mind-blowing stuff. 17 out of 24, 168 yards passing. But he had 11 carries for 106 yards and three touchdowns. Like, he was a one-man wrecking crew. Uh, Ricky Pearsall uh, was awesome. Four receptions, 67 yards. Xavier Henderson, um, six receptions, 41 yards. Like, looking at Utah, like, Utah's not a bad team. Tavion Thomas, 23 carries, 115 yards. Uh, They had 230 yards on the ground. Cam Rising was able to have a ton of success. Um, <laughs> salt to the earth jumps in. Utah will win the Mountain West every year. Uh, Utah is a really, really good football team. Like a really good football team. Them losing this game was not uh, was not bad, right? Um, let's see, Keithy, the tight end, uh, nine receptions, 105 yards, and one touchdown here. Uh, Florida could not figure out a way to match up with those guys. Uh, they Their defense, the Gators' defense could not stop Utah at all. So, yeah, you that's why you try and run the clock out towards the end of the game there uh, when you haven't scored yet, right? You're, there's a lot of weird things. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. I was, I was very surprised with the way that that game went, um, but it, I thought it was awesome for sure. Uh, hope, I'm guessing you guys did as well. <laughs> that's what I'm guessing is that you guys did as well. All right, let's hit on the blowout of the day here. And obviously, we're not going to spend all of it. Uh, Kane Cards jumped in. Utah was cramping all game. You could tell the environment was infecting them. Yeah, uh, 81% humidity down there. A little warm. Utah aren't used to that. They are not used to that at all. All right, uh, let's see. We're going to move over to Georgia. All right. Now, Georgia, them dogs. Whew, 49-3. I am just, I <laughs> I thought that maybe Oregon could keep this thing close because I thought all of the new guys coming in, and I, I should have known better because Alabama does this year after year. Like, they lose a ton of guys every year, and Georgia is built the exact same way, right? Think about all the games last year where Georgia had an opportunity to bring in guys and and let them play in mop-up duty, and 
of course they've got some experience. Of course these guys have been in big-time spots. Maybe not big-time spots, but there wasn't a point in this game that was a big-time spot after, like, the first quarter. Like, if you just dominate, you don't have to worry with it, right? I I just, I wonder. I really wonder. Uh, let's look at the stats. Nine point, I mean, I don't know why we would have to. <laughs> My God. Uh, 9.29 yards per play to only 5.44 in favor of Georgia. 571 total offensive yards to only 313. Georgia had no turnovers. Oregon had two. Uh, Georgia, 9 of 10 on third down. Like, they were never in an uncomfortable position, ever. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. Uh, Bo Nix did not look good. Oh, uh, Georgia. Yeah, nine scoring opportunities. They scored 5.44 points per scoring opportunity. They scored touchdowns on their first five, no, first seven drives, and then just kind of sat on it. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, Big Alex jumps in. Do you still have West Virginia going five and seven? I saw you impressed by us despite the loss. Uh, I'm going to have to recalibrate. I've got to go through my power ratings this evening. So... (laughs) So we will see. It kind of depends on everybody else too, not just West Virginia. But uh, but yeah, Georgia. I mean, this is when I when I look at at what Stetson Bennett was able to do in this game. Like I, I've talked, I've talked not glowingly about Stetson Bennett, right? And I still think that he's not great, but he's. He is more than serviceable. Like, I think he's a great college quarterback, and he can make some outstanding plays. That play that you just watched is just mind-blowing, what he was able to do to get that touchdown pass. But uh, but Georgia looks like they are going to die. I don't think Oregon needs to worry too much because this is just a different level. Uh, in the Pac-12, they're going to be fine. But, man, Bo Nix, like, against <laughs> We've seen it over and over and over again, and I... And luckily, I didn't bet this game, but man, I thought it would be competitive, right? When I was asked about it, I said, "Ah, you know, Oregon, I think they can bang with them on the offensive line and defensive line. Like, I I think they can do it. Uh, Salt of the Earth jumps in. It's been at the real deal. Man, he should be. He's been there for 18 years, it feels like. I mean, you know, I, I think he's really good. I think he's really, really good, and I think he has developed insanely well under Todd Munkin. Uh, but as far as Oregon goes, Bo Nix... Throw my hands up. I, I don't know what that was. I thought him going back with Kenny Dillingham might might help him develop a little bit. I thought a change of scenery might be good for him, and it was not. I mean, it was not at all. Uh, I mean, the top top dudes in this game here, um, Bo Nix, two interceptions, 21 out of 37, which, by the way, how bad does Ty Thompson have to be if Bo Nix playing like that uh, doesn't get out of the game? Right? And I understand that they are trying to uh, build this offense, et cetera. But, whoo, I mean, that is just rough. Uh, Stetson Bennett, by the way, 25 out of 31, only six incompletions, had 368 yards of passing offense and two touchdowns. He was awesome. Kong for Life jumps in 49-3. to It looked like NFL versus a high school team. Uh, Georgia made Oregon look like practice. Yeah, yeah, I, That's and that's what I'm saying. The tiers of this sport are so completely different that I don't think Oregon has a whole lot to worry about, right? If um, if Ohio State went and played against an NFL team and they get just thrashed, right? The same score, 49-3. to 
are they not going to be as good as they are in college football uh, because they went and got thrashed by somebody that's obviously light years better than they are and more talented? I don't think it necessarily means anything for the rest of the season. So uh, let's let's jump out of here. Let's hit an ad right quick, and uh, and then I'm going to hit uh, North Carolina and App State on the other side. Let's check out some things you should know about. Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, gambling picks, merch, the gear we use, and more. If you want more content from me, Gary, visit betustv.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports show and, from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, and more. Visit winningcureseverything.com slash store to see what all we've added. And now, back to the show. All right. North Carolina 63, App State 61. What? (laughs) I am sure that you guys watched this game uh, because, obviously, early window, I mean, it was ideal. It was just a perfect, perfect slot for it. Uh, But this was, this was awesome. This was so good. I, I loved everything about this game because it was bonkers it felt like you were watching arena league football like I don't know if everybody remembers that or AFL or ALF or whatever it was the arena football league uh because nobody could stop anybody like a 40 point fourth quarter like what are we and Drake May my gosh Drake May is unbelievable um this this UNC defense somehow got worse by bringing in Gene Chizik which again uh I talked about Jay Bateman maybe not being the best fit to pair along with um, uh, with Phil Longo, but I don't know that I I don't know that bringing in Gene Chizik is a better idea. I just uh, and and how bad do you have to feel if you are an App State fan and you go for those two point conversions twice and and you don't get either of them, right? Like you come back down the. Let's let's pull up the drives here. Because this, I, I mean, I got to get into this. I gotta I gotta figure this out. Um, App State. So North Carolina scores a touchdown, goes up fifty six to forty nine. Which, by the way, they were leading forty one to twenty one at the end of the uh, third quarter. App State scored forty points in the fourth quarter and still didn't win. But uh, regardless, so North Carolina scores to go up fifty six to forty nine, and then two minutes later, App State comes back down. And, and they score, and then they kick off. They do an onside kick because they didn't get the two-point conversion. Um, and then North Carolina returns the kickoff, and App State comes right back down the field. In like from They're at their own 35 with 28 seconds left. And, you know, I, I'm just so confused as to how you could lose that game. Um, and part of it, I mean, obviously, it's because North Carolina's offense was just awesome. Let's uh, let's pull up the stats here. 8.1 yards per play for North Carolina to only 7.3 for App State. Uh, App State, 649 total yards. 
I mean, that North Carolina defense could not stop anything. Uh, to only 567 for North Carolina. Both teams had a turnover. Uh, both teams had quite a few third down tries, which, you know, you do. North Carolina, 64% third down conversions. Um, Big Out said they probably won't play a better team this year. I don't know if you're talking about App State or North Carolina. <laughs> fourth down percentage. Uh, North Carolina went for it once on fourth down, and they got it. App State went for it twice, and they got it on one. So, scoring opportunities. App State had nine of them. Nine drives inside the opponent, 40. They only had 5.44 points per scoring opportunity. North Carolina had six points per scoring opportunity on eight. Uh, North Carolina also had that special teams touchdown, and both teams started their average field position was on their own 30. Like, they had pretty good field position. I was talking App State will play, <laughs> won't play a better team this year. Maybe not. I mean, they, they got some tough uh, competition in the Sun Belt, but at, I'll tell you this, it's not like they played a tough defense. They will face tougher defenses. I will tell you that. Uh, salt of the earth, UNC looked like a Big 12 team. Well, they look like a, a past Big 12 team to me. Um, Big 12 actually plays a little bit of defense now. His, uh, that scheme, yeah, uh, salt of the earth jumps in. Uh, his defensive scheme was bad. Talking about Gene Chizik, uh, it was, it was ridiculous. Like, I, I, they have so much talent on that team, and they either have not been developed or they just have them in the wrong scheme. And, and these guys are running themselves out of plays. They have obviously no idea what the play calls are, it seems like, because they are not in the right position ever, it seemed like. Like, it, there were guys just running wide open, and I could not figure out what what they were even trying to do. Like, that's the biggest thing to me is, if I can at least understand your scheme and maybe you didn't get there or you got run over or something, then that's one thing. Uh, Ab State was not running like a bunch of trick plays. I mean, this was just, this was rough. This was rough. Um Looking at the uh, the stats on this game, Drake May, I'm going to say it again, uh, he 24 out of 35 for 352 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, and running the football, 12 carries, 76 yards, and one touchdown. I, North Carolina overs is going to be a thing. Like, everybody's going to be jumping on these. But, man, he is the real deal. Like, I cannot believe that this was a competition. How good is Criswell that's backing him up? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm shocked at this game. Shocked at this game. Uh, just unbelievable. <laughs> uh, big outs. They'll, they'll be okay. Uh, or no, they'll okay some better Ds, but they won't play an offense close. North Carolina, they've got a little bit more talent on that side of the ball than people realize, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they've certainly got talent. And, and Phil Longo, which, by the way, props to Phil Longo. Absolutely fantastic, fantastic offense that he's running. Um, it doesn't necessarily give your defense a whole lot of time for rest. However, it does give you a whole lot of cushion. So I, I don't think there's, I don't know who I would pair with Phil Longo, but I, I think that he is out of this world good as a play caller. Like he is awesome. And when he gets that offense rolling and they are moving, yeah. That is a team to look out for. Uh, let's move over to the other side of the state. Or maybe not the other side, but you guys get the point. Um, NC State 21, East Carolina 20. Salt of the earth. No, he is not a true freshman. Um, so, 
this East Carolina mess, uh, I didn't see this happening at all. I, <laughs> I, I'm a little speechless here. Um, so East Carolina, of course, drives down and they score a touchdown with just a couple of minutes left and they miss the extra point. And then they get the ball back because North Carolina State cannot do anything on offense. And whew. and then, of course, they missed the, uh, the game-winning field goal, which was just rough. But, man, I, <laughs> I don't even know what to tell you. Uh, pulling up the stats here on this one. Uh, every, I mean, East Carolina won basically all of the, the bigger stats other than, you know, a defensive touchdown or I guess a special teams touchdown for NC State. They had more points per scoring opportunity. They had a better third down percentage. They had more total yards. They had more yards per play. They had less turnovers. Uh, They did not win field position. And yet somehow, NC State found a way to win this ballgame. I hate their offense. I really do. Like, Devin Leary still looks like a good quarterback to me. And... I can't figure out the scheme. I can't figure out what they think is going to be successful. Um, you know, it, he was 17 out of 33 for 211 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Uh, Holton Ehlers, you know, 25 out of 41, 267 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Like, if East Carolina plays like that every week, they could win the AAC. I just know that they won't, right? They won't play like that every week. So... I don't know. You guys, uh, give me your thoughts on this. Uh, Big Alex jumped in. East Carolina and West Virginia both missing opportunities to propel their programs to new heights. Ah, it takes me back to the good old days. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really what it is. This is... East Carolina is a fun team, and I like Mike Houston, but there was some questionable time management, and que- they just there were there were questions all over the place. Uh, I I look at this, and I don't know how... Like NC State was up twenty-one to seven at the half, and then they come out and and do nothing, you know, turnovers and going forward on fourth down and don't get it. Like they they should have dominated this game from a talent perspective, definitely. But Dave Doran, like if you're ACC teams, why do you continue to go do these? Like what what is the purpose? Why would you continue? to go play these road games. And I understand like some of them are two-for-ones and whatever, but you are making it more difficult on yourself to to go and do these road games at, you know, somewhat respectable G5 programs within your state who obviously hate you and they get worked up to be able to beat you. Like, you, you give these guys motivation because they didn't get to go to your school or whatever, or they feel like the little brother or something. It's added motivation, and then you get to go to their house, and they get to play you at home with their fans. It's just a bad idea, overall bad idea. Um, I didn't like anything that NC State did, offense, defense, anything. I had NC State. I think winning ten games this year, <laughs> and I, I bought into the hype because I love that defense. I do. They are vicious. That is a violent defense. And I don't, I don't get it. Uh, Big Allen said exactly why West Virginia doesn't play Marshall. Yeah, 
Yeah, why would you? West Virginia is is a P5 team. P5, they question, you know, whatever. Quote, quote unquote. I, I don't I don't like it. I don't I don't like NC State right now. ECU surprised me a little more than I, you know, I didn't think ECU was going to be very good this year uh, based on the guys that they lost and and I don't think uh Holden's a, a great quarterback, but obviously he kind of he showed up pretty good in this one. So, um we'll move off of that. Let's uh Let's try and move this thing along. We're already 35 minutes into this thing, and I have still got a ton of games to hit on. Let's uh, let's move over to Arkansas and Cincinnati. And, man, uh, you want to talk about a game. You want to talk about something fun here. Uh, this was... It, Fayetteville is awesome, right? Like, Fayetteville is just an awesome, awesome place. But, man... Uh, I mean, this jump pass, K.J. Jefferson, they, they had control of this game early, since uh, Arkansas did. And they started getting dinged up a little bit, and they got dinged up a little bit in the secondary, and when they did that, it gave Cincinnati a little bit of time to be able to figure things out. Like, Arkansas could have put them away. Instead, you know, they went up 14 to nothing. Early third quarter, probably should have tried to go up as as much as they could, and they they screwed around and let Cincinnati stay in this game. Like that's that's what I took from it. Uh, this was a let's look at the stats here. Cincinnati won yards per play. They won total yards. Uh, Arkansas had less turnovers. Um, <laughs> Trey the wave jumps in. James Madison is a playoff team. Uh, hey, they look like it, didn't they? They did. Uh, so third down percentage was the same. Cincinnati went forward on fourth down and got it. Uh, Arkansas never did. Cincinnati had nine drives inside the opponent 40, uh, only had 2.67 points per scoring opportunity. Cincinnati uh, had better field position. Arkansas, 5.17 points per scoring opportunity on six scoring opportunities. K.J. Jefferson didn't look super comfortable towards the end of the game. I think he got dinged up a little bit. Um, this is This was a weird game because I thought Arkansas would be able to handle them on the line of scrimmage and... And they did, eh, but but at the same time, like, since he found a way to stay in this game, like, they handled adversity really, really well. Uh, looking at the, just the overall box score here, um, now let's look at team stats. So, just basic numbers. Arkansas, 224 yards rushing. That's five yards per rush for them. Cincinnati, 113 yards rushing on a 31 attempts. is 3.6. But when you look at the passing, that's where it really ticks up, right? This this whole Ben Bryant thing, where they didn't even bring in Prater when they knew that this thing was going poorly in the first half, I can respect it from the fickle side. I can also not think that it's a great idea, but I fickle, I mean, they said it on the broadcast, fickle wants it to be a one-quarterback thing. Whoever won it, whoever won the job is going to get the, the job. They're going to do it. And Ben Bryan, of course, the upperclassman, et cetera, like he did make some really good throws. And obviously once Arkansas had some injuries in that secondary later on in the game, they were able to have a lot more success doing it. But I, ugh, this was, this is a lot closer than I thought it should be for Arkansas. And they have got, um, they've got South Carolina coming up next week. And that is going to be, I mean, just a dinger because South Carolina, like, I can't, 
<laughs> they hadn't figured themselves out on offense. But uh, but you start having secondary issues, et cetera, at Arkansas, and you give Spencer Adler a little time to heat up, eh, not, uh, not ideal. Not ideal at all on that one. Let's move along, and you want to talk about a fun game. Houston, 37, UTSA 35 in four overtimes. Four overtimes. You want to talk about a fun game. Like, this, this game needs to be a rivalry. I mean, it really does. It needs to be a rivalry. Uh, they, the, the Clayton Toon uh, overtime two-point conversion where he just dives for the pylon, like, that is putting yourself on the line. Um, big out steps in, wondering what the line on Arkansas-South Carolina game is going to be. Uh, my line on it, and I just looked at this last night, my line on it is Arkansas by four. I have no idea what is going to come out in Vegas because there are so many flaws on both of these teams that I, I got no idea. Uh, I think I think South Carolina is better than Cincinnati, but even that might be questionable at this point because I, you know who knows who knows. Um, so continuing on, Houston thirty-seven to thirty-five here. Let's uh, let's take a look at the stats for Houston and UTSA. UTSA almost two more yards per play than Houston. They were up in this game 21 to 7 entering the fourth quarter and let it get away from them. I mean, just brutal, brutal beat here. 441 yards total offense to only 346. Both teams had a turnover. Third down tries. Houston had 21 of them and hit over 61% of them. Um, fourth down tries. UTSA had two of them and didn't hit one. UTSA had five scoring opportunities. Their drives inside the opponent 40 yard line. Only 3.4 points per scoring opportunity and 6 points per scoring opportunity on the 4 that Houston had. Uh, UTSA, slightly better field position. This was this was a fun game. I mean, you see the back and forth in this win probability. I mean, it just... It's, it's so awesome. This was such a fun atmosphere. The Alamo Dome was rocking. That crowd made it absolutely brutal absolutely tough on Houston to figure out and I think Dana Holgerson maybe underestimated the opponent a little bit like Jeff Trailer is really building something here and I saw all the jokes about him taking over at Texas after Sark gets fired uh but I ain't I ain't to that point just yet like he's doing an incredible job here I don't know that he could deal with the boosters that he has to at Texas but uh but yes this this Houston team you know, you look at at just the regular box score here. They they still can't really figure out the running game. Of course, obviously their top uh, running back went out in the off season with a uh, an ACL tear. I think it was either ACL or Achilles. I don't remember. Regardless, uh, they were they were having to figure out some things in the running game. Well, forty four carries for one hundred forty yards, like eh. And 15 of those carries and 51 of the yards are from Clayton Toon, the, the quarterback. Yeah, not great. Not great. Uh, Toon only had 206 yards passing, uh, but he had three touchdowns. I, I thought he was pretty good on the day. Tank Dell, five uh, receptions for 50 yards and two touchdowns. Like, on a PPA basis, uh, that's predicted points added basis, he is he's awesome. He's, he's really, really good. This, uh, this team, uh, both of these teams, are awesome. And now UTSA gets to face Army on the road this week, and Houston gets to play at Texas Tech. So 
this should be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, jumping in here, let's uh, let's close out this one. Mr. Side jumps in. I know I'm late to comment on the Ohio State game, but I'm just happy they got that win. Notre Dame's defense was pretty good. Ohio State is getting better as the or Ohio State gets better as the season goes on, and the offense will click. Uh, also, this live stream is awesome. Thank you very much. If you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. There you go. Um, yeah, I I will tell you this. I I wonder with Houston and UTSA if they will make this a rivalry because they should. Like they're not going to be in the same conference because UTSA is joining the AAC just as Houston is leaving to join the Big Twelve. I don't know that Houston will continue to do this because they're stepping up in competition because they know that UTSA is a threat. But I know the fans loved it. I know that even just the casual observer, myself, really loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was awesome. So uh, we'll hit one more, and then I want to hit uh, one more ad before we jump into some of the other ones. But this one, a Friday night game. Old Dominion 20, Virginia Tech 17, and... Brent Pry, you know, one thing that you don't want to do when you are the head coach at Virginia Tech is lose a game, even on the road, to Old Dominion. Because your roster should never be in that bad a shape that you would lose that game. Now, props to uh, Ricky Rain or Ricky Ronnie or whatever you want to call him, uh, the head coach at Old Dominion. They were both on the same staff at Penn State under James Franklin. But... Yeah, uh, let's let's jump over here and you can take a look, see this go ahead touchdown here. Um, yeah, I mean that that fan base was nuts. Uh, this, by the way, this is one of those that I mentioned earlier about the most unlikely wins. Uh, Old Dominion had a one percent post game win expectancy. That I mean that's bananas. I mean just nuts. Uh, because you see, Virginia Tech like had the win expectancy for the majority of the game, or the win probability. Excuse me. And then, of course, drops it down at the end because of problems. Uh, looking at the stats, all right. Virginia Tech, 5.71 yards per play to only 3.72. Uh, almost 100 total yards more they outgained them by. Here's your issue, though. That only two turnovers for Old Dominion to only five. Uh, to only five. Uh, <laughs> to five for, uh, for Virginia Tech. I mean, just brutal. Uh, Virginia Tech did have a better third down percentage because uh, 29.41% only 18.75. I mean, it's just bleh. Uh, seven scoring opportunities for Virginia Tech. They only scored 1.43 points per scoring opportunity. At Grant Wells, like, uh, the turnovers. The turnovers. It's just ridiculous. Uh, Salt of the Earth jumps in. Poor Hokies. Trey the Waves. The Sun or Trey the Waves said the Sun Belt is like the SEC and G5 play. I don't know that we're quite to that point. But we are, we're pretty close. Like, the Sun Belt is a lot of fun. They are insanely passionate. They are and really, really good. The Old Dominion, of course, just now joined the Sun Belt. And you start off your Sun Belt membership with a win over Virginia Tech, regardless of the fact that it is the debut for the new head coach. But, man, um, I mean, this was just brutal to look at. And you see interception, interception, uh, fumble touchdown, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, more fumbles, touchdowns. This was a rough game to watch. Uh, no, Virginia Tech interception that leads to uh, 
the game-winning touchdown, and then an interception at the end of the game. It is brutal. Uh, talk to the earth jumps in. Virginia Tech will beat West Virginia. Uh, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> we will see because that's that's calling for quite a lot. Um, let's hit uh, let's hit one more ad right quick, and then I'm going to hit Iowa on the backside along with Arizona, uh, Indiana, and Illinois, etc. Let's check out some things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter at Winning Cures, and you can follow Gary at Gary WCE. You can also follow on Facebook. Got your own podcast or web show, looking to start one, or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show too. Subscribe on YouTube to get not only full Winning Cures Everything shows, but individual segments and other goodies as well. We're over 6,000 subscribers, and our goal by the end of the year is 7,500. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. And now, back to the show. All right, we're moving into Iowa and South Dakota State. And uh, here, I'll just show it, the play of the game. Uh... <laughs> You know that this was a Kirk Ferentz special. Like, if anybody has paid up, uh, has paid attention to Kirk Ferentz, they know that this was a masterpiece for Kirk Ferentz. Uh, I, I just, I cannot figure out how you can go through spring practice and then summer workouts and then fall camp and see that offense and think, huh, yeah, that'll work. Like. <laughs> Like they they beat the South Dakota State obviously lost some talent last year. Uh, this is a good FCS program. They got a good defense, so let's not get it twisted. It's not like they were playing some also ran. Uh, they were playing a legitimate good defensive football team, but they also were playing a pretty good offensive team. I say I say good offense. I'm not saying explosive offense because this is a team that obviously loves to run the football, etc. Looking at this, yards per play. Like, Iowa won pretty much every stat here. Uh, 3.14 yards per play to uh, 2.11. 166 total yards for Iowa to only 120. Iowa had two turnovers in this game. <laughs> I mean, just, uh, just ridiculous. South Dakota State had zero. Uh, third down percentage. I mean, look at this. Uh, Iowa had the better third down percentage at 23.53%. Just unbelievable stuff. And on top of that, uh, Iowa, six scoring opportunities. Six drives that were inside of their opponent's 40-yard line. They scored .5 points per scoring opportunity. Their field position average in this game was their own 38. And that's 20 yards better than what South Dakota's was. And they could do nothing. Like, I could not take my eyes off of this game. They, they win the game. With a field goal and two safeties. I, I don't remember the last time I saw a team get to seven points by doing that. right? But South Dakota State on the other side could not do anything. Uh, they had one scoring opportunity. The one time that they got it inside of the opponent's 40-yard line, they kicked a field goal. They got three points. Uh, Trey, the wave is South Dakota and North Dakota State moving to FBS, and I can't wait for the new playoffs format. Uh, I don't 
I don't know about South Dakota State. Um, <laughs> they stole home twice. Um, I don't know that they're moving to FBS. I don't think North Dakota State necessarily wants to. I think they've had opportunities in the past. If they do it, they would have to move to the Mountain West, and I don't think it is worth it to them to do that right now from everything that I've been told. But we'll see. Like at some of these smaller schools, uh, Jacksonville State, et cetera, like they decided it was worth it. Sam Houston State, uh, they decided, yeah, like this this makes sense for us. We're going to move up to Conference USA. I think North Dakota State believes that they are better than that. And maybe they're not wrong. Maybe they're not wrong. James Madison jumped in and joined the Sun Belt, who, of course, is a really, really good Power 5, uh, G5 program, whatever you want to call it now, because I don't think there is a Power 5 anymore, but regardless. Um, yeah, uh, Double O'Neill jumped in. Um, everyone needs to wake up. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm awake. Uh, Trey the Wave, the ACC needs to wake up. <laughs> oh, man. Man, man, man. Uh, Big Ounce jumps in. My favorite FCS team, go Jacks. Uh, this is the year ISU will be victorious. Oh, we're talking Iowa State and Iowa. Uh, we're going to hit that on the BetUS show this week. Uh, so tune in. It's going to be <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about this. But yes, Iowa. Um, man, I just the EPA in this game. Like I'm sure you can see it on your screen here. It just goes down and down and down and down. I I don't know what to say. I don't know how you go into a season thinking that this can be your offense. I mean, they're bad. Like, it's really, really bad. Look at, look at the total EPA here. Uh, 37.27. Negative 37.27 for South Dakota State. Negative 31.69 for Iowa against an FCS opponent. Ay, ay, ay. All right. Uh, let's jump off of that one. Let's move into one that uh, that was a little bit more explosive, a little bit more exciting. I'll say that. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, Arizona 38, San Diego State 20. And there were guys on Twitter and on here and everywhere else at the BetUS uh, Three Dog Thursday show that I was on with TJ Reeves and uh, Brian Edwards. They thought I was crazy. And Brian Edwards said that he was going the opposite direction of me, and he was taking San Diego State. But, hey, turns out I might have known a little something. I, I read the same intel, the same reports, all that kind of mess that you guys do. And, and people just read it differently. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, you, you look at this, and you see that Jaden DeLara pass to Jacob Cowing. Jacob Cowing is a stud. He should have never been at UTEP. He was awesome. Absolutely awesome. Like, this dude is next level kind of stuff here. I mean, he is just... I, I mean, he just makes people miss. He is so valuable from a predicted points added perspective. He just broke that dude's ankles. I mean, just... Just broke that dude's ankle. Salt of the earth jumps in and says, how did SDSU lose? Uh, San Diego State lost because, one, their offense could not keep up. They still have offensive issues. Bringing in Braxton Burmeister did nothing to alleviate that. He's not a better quarterback than what they had last year. He's just not. Uh, second, Jaden DeLora is a pretty good quarterback. 
And Jacob Cowing is an elite receiver. Now, they got other dudes, too. That, uh, that Arizona offensive line, like I talked about this last week, all five of their dudes are over 310 pounds, and they found a way to protect their quarterback, and they were able to run the ball a little bit. I mean, they were able to do some, some interesting things. Uh, looking at the team stats on this, like 162 yards rushing on 39 attempts for Arizona. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's going to surprise people. Like, Arizona actually upgraded their roster a ridiculous amount. Just a ridiculous amount. Um, Jacob Cowing, eight receptions, 152 yards, and three touchdowns. Just awesome. Just awesome. Uh, San Diego State, I mean, they got they got some problems. They got some real issues. Uh, Big Allen jumps in, well, what do you think of this? Oh, I, y'all are still talking West Virginia and what? Maine. Come on. <laughs> but no, at looking looking at this game, uh, the win probability shifted quickly in favor of Arizona. And, I mean, they just they just beat them. I mean, success rate, 47% for Arizona to only 38% for San Diego State. San Diego State does not give up 47% success rate. They, they just don't. Like, it's, it's bananas to me. Um, but regardless, Arizona, I think, is going to be Pretty good. Uh, I cannot wait to watch them play against um, Mississippi State this week. I think that's going to be a great time. Great time. All right, next game on the board here. Indiana 23, Illinois 20. This was another one of those post-game win expectancies of... Da, da, da. Uh, Indiana, a 10% post-game win expectancy. It was actually a little bit less than that. It's like 9.9-something-something-something. Nine something. Um this was an interesting game. And I, I will tell you, I I mentioned last week that this this game terrified me. The line terrified me, right? Because I thought that Illinois was a significantly better football team. And it turns out that, yeah, they probably should have won the game. But if you play a game in week zero and then you do a road game on a Friday... Eh, you know, not a lot of uh, prep time, not a lot of time to recover, etc. And yeah, you just beat up on Wyoming last week, but Friday night game at Indiana, like this was as much a scheduling snafu as anything. Uh, the turnover situation here, like my guy here, let's let's dive into the actual numbers here, uh, which I didn't do on Arizona and whatever. Um, four turnovers for Illinois in this game. Only two for Indiana. Um 451 total yards for Illinois, and I see that my yards per play stat didn't pop up. Uh, three, it's only 362 for Indiana here. Uh, better third down percentage, uh, more scoring opportunities, a better points per scoring opportunity, um, and yet, and yet here we are. Illinois loses the game. Indiana finds a way to win. Now, I don't know what it necessarily says about the future of Tom Allen's program. They were better in this game than I assumed that they would be. But I still don't know that it tells me anything. Like, I... Overall, you know, post-game win expectancy, Illinois 90%. It's because uh, they had more scoring opportunities. They finished their drives better. They had better field position. They had a better third down uh, percentage. They had more total yards. They had more yards per play. Uh, The only issue was the turnovers. That was the problem. 
just so frustrating. It, I, I can't imagine being an Illinois fan after watching that because you think that you've got some things figured out, and uh, and yeah, and they didn't. I mean, look, you can see it on the on the chart here. I mean, they were expected to win the game for the majority of the game. Uh, 42% success rate to only 33%. Uh, 5.23 yards per play to only 5.12. Just, uh, just uh, so ridiculous. Uh, by the way, Connor Bazelak, let's talk good about Indiana for a minute. Connor Bazelak was awesome. I mean, he was really good in this game. Uh, I did not expect it. Uh, but 28 out of 52, 330 yards, you know, one touchdown, one pick. Uh, Sean Shivers, not great. 15 carries, 28 yards. Indiana still doesn't have much of an offensive line here. I, I'm i curious how they're going to – well, I know how they're going to be able to win games is you're letting Bazelak throw deep, right? Like 11 receptions for Camper for 156 yards. DJ Matthews, seven receptions, 109 yards. Like, yeah, if you give that guy time to throw and you let those receivers go get open so long as they stay healthy. Uh, remember, DJ Matthews was out after like week four last year. He's the transfer from Florida State. Yeah, like I may, yeah, I could see them doing something. They're obviously better than they were last year uh, because now they have a Big Ten win and they didn't get that last year. But yeah, th- that surprised me a little bit because I thought Illinois was way better, like way, way better. And they uh, they showed to me that they are not. So <laughs> so we'll see what uh, what ends up happening out of that one. Uh, another another fun game here to hit on, and I'm already over an hour. I knew I was going to do this to myself. Rutgers, 22, Boston College, 21. Post-game win expectancy here, Rutgers, 75%. They won yards per play uh, by almost a full yard. They won total yards by only 10 yards. Uh, They only had one turnover to BC's three, and the three turnovers are, I mean, it was the death knell for them. Uh, BC had a better third down percentage. Points per scoring opportunity. Rutgers had four points per scoring opportunity to only 3.5 for BC. And that both of them had six drives inside the opponent 40-yard line. The field position was the exact same. Both started on their own 27. I I look at this, and I'm thinking, you know, uh, this is interesting. Uh, Greg Schiano and what those guys do, they find some of the most unlikely ways to win football games. And they continue to do it. And I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, Sean Gleason, the offensive coordinator for Rutgers, has really, really awesome schemes, really awesome uh, creative ideas on ways to move the football when you don't necessarily have the talent to be able to do it, right? And, and they found ways to get it done in this game. Like, I, I was I was impressed, very impressed. 42% success rate for Rutgers to only 33% here for BC yeah. Yeah. EPA per rush, 0.26 for Rutgers, negative 0.61. Yards per drop back, EPA per drop back was completely opposite. Rutgers was able to run the football on BC. Uh, this doesn't look like it's going to be a good year. Zay Flowers, by the way, really good, like for Boston College, which we, we've known that for quite some time. But that, it's got to be disheartening to come back and realize, you know, you're not going to be like a, a really good football team. Uh, Zay Flowers, 10 receptions, 117 yards, two touchdowns here. Just just rough. Uh, because they, they probably should have won this game. And you go look at, you know, what ended up happening. I mean, just... Uh, 
Rutgers kicks, uh, kicks a field goal to go down by six, and then you immediately throw an interception, punt, punt, and you give up a 96-yard touchdown drive to Rutgers to lose the game with like a minute left. Just rough. Just rough. But alas, it is what it is. I've got uh, one more game that I want to talk about. Had to hit the coffee. Had to hit the coffee. Uh, I'm going to hit on Liberty and Southern Miss. And write my time down here so I can put it on the podcast for you guys. Uh, Big Ounce jumps in. Boston College just doesn't have enough people that care about football. Eh. I mean, you... Yeah. They, They had fans out there. It was just... It was just rough. It was a rough time. <laughs> I will say that. It's I don't know what they can do to fix this. Uh Jeff Halfley, I think, is is gonna run out of town as soon as he gets another opportunity. And he will because people love him. I don't know if y'all see that camera moving. I'm gonna have to figure out something to do with that. But regardless, we'll figure it out. Uh Liberty and Southern Miss. Four overtimes, twenty nine to twenty seven. Hugh Freeze gets the win here. Ah, let's look at the stats. Southern Miss had more yards per play. Uh, they had more turnovers, and that was the difference in the ball game. They had eight less third down tries. Liberty had a 40% third down success rate, or not success rate, but a conversion rate on 20 attempts to a 25% on 12 attempts. Uh, I like Will Hall, the coach at Southern Miss. I like him a lot. I think he's really innovative. Uh, I think he's a great coach. Liberty had a 7% post-game win expectancy in this game. And I, the field position, like Southern Miss started drives on their own 37. They had one defensive touchdown. Uh, they like The points per scoring opportunity was bananas. But that Southern Miss quarterback went out with a concussion. Now, anybody that paid attention to this team last year would know that they had issues last year with the quarterback position and ended up having to play Frank Gore at quarterback. And Frank Gore Jr. is a running back. And yet, here we are. Uh, <laughs> we're doing the same thing because uh, Keyes went out with a concussion. And, of course, it's not like he was great. I mean, he had eight pass attempts. He completed four of them, and he completed two of them to the other team. So he had two interceptions there. But uh, but Lowe comes in, and on his first pass, throws a pick. And then they yank him. Will Hall takes him out, and Frank Gore Jr. comes in as the dude. Look at I mean, 32 carries for 178 yards and two touchdowns. Like, he was the driving factor behind this team actually having a chance to win this game. Uh, Charlie Brewer went out uh, with an injury. And, and had his arm in a sling. So I see Salt of the Earth jumped in, Brewer time in uh, in Liberty. Um, yeah, like Salter was was pretty good. Bennett, not so good. Bennett had two interceptions for them. Like both of these teams played three guys under center. I mean, just ridiculous. Uh, big outs, did Frank Gore retire? I don't know, but, uh, but I know his son is playing for Southern Miss and is basically the star guy. So this was an interesting, interesting game. Uh, I mean, you see the two-point conversion tried that that failed in the fourth overtime. Like, how how nuts is this? Both of these teams missed field goals in the first overtime. Like, they get two overtime, and they can't hit the field goal, and then, of course, you're doing the back and forth, and 
bleh. It it was it was rough if you're a Southern Miss fan. I will tell you that. But uh, but overall, like a fun ball game. I enjoyed watching this. Um, I did have a little wager on on Southern Miss plus three and a half that it ended up hitting, so that was good. But overall. I think it's going to be a little while for Southern Miss to get back. Uh, Liberty does not look nearly as good without Malik Willis, for sure. Uh, but I trust Hugh Freeze to be able to figure that thing out. Like Again, Liberty just finding ways to win. It's uh, it's really confusing. Oh, by the way, the win probability, this is another one of those uh, super exciting games, right? You can see up here the game excitement index. They got a 10.65 up there. And, uh, you know... It just went back and forth over and over. You you see the line there, which I, I'm sure you can see it flashing on the screen if you're actually watching on YouTube. Uh, if you're not, if you're listening on the podcast, thank you. Uh, go subscribe to YouTube as well. That way you can actually see this. But it just went back and forth, back and forth, and that win probability is what makes the, the game excitement index shoot through the roof, right? The expected points added here, um, you could see just it, when, when Brewer went out, I mean, it just tanked for Liberty. And it was kind of the same thing for Southern Miss. Like, when, when they did not have a quarterback, it was rough. Uh, success rate on this, by the way, Southern Miss 48% to 41% for Liberty. You know, yards per play, Southern Miss 5.72 to 5.22. They, there were there were ways that Southern Miss could have won this ballgame. There were ways. Let's uh, let's try and hit on some of the uh, – let's hit on some notes. Maybe we can do that. Like, just uh, random stuff that – you know, maybe other games that I haven't gotten to talk about. Uh, if anybody in the chat wants to ask about any of them, my opinion on games that happened, I would gladly do so now for at least another uh, couple of minutes or so. Um, moving through week one, uh, TCU Colorado, I mean, had to... TCU should be better than that. Colorado, man, those fans, I mean, as soon as the game got a little bit out of hand... They were out of here. That was just rough. Uh, Texas A&M had two 60-yard touchdown passes, I think, for the first time under Jimbo Fisher. Uh, now, lightning delays, et cetera, that game ended up taking like eight hours. But still, that's that's a weird one. Kansas beat Tennessee Tech 56-10. to That was brutal. Uh, Duke looks pretty good. Uh, Charlotte, I mean, ugh. Just... Yuck! Without Chris Reynolds, they are a bad football team, and I'm all that all the hype about Will Healy. Ah, very curious. Uh, Trey the Wave. How about James Madison? Um, yeah, James Madison. Uh, what was it? Forty-four to seven over Middle Tennessee State. I don't know if that says more about James Madison or more about Middle Tennessee State. Like MTSU. Well, excuse me, they're not state anymore. Uh, Middle Tennessee. Um, oh. Salt of the earth, Texas Tech lost their quarterback collarbone. It is that official? Is that a is that a real thing? I uh, I got to figure that out right quick. Uh, Tyler, I think he I think he broke his collarbone again last year or not again, but I got to look this up. Let's see. Donovan replaces uh, Tyler Shook after. Duh, 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 duh. Oh yeah, that sucks. I, I didn't actually watch that game uh, because it was a beatdown. But, man, that sucks for him. Uh, Donovan Smith did perfectly fine last year, so I think Texas Tech is going to be all right regardless. 
Uh, Delaware beating Navy was surprising to me. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw that, but uh, Navy, their drive chart, uh, like half of their first uh, eight drives, I think four of them ended with fumbles. Just, yeah. Uh, Air Force, Air Force is going to be really good again. Surprise, surprise. I picked them to go 10-2 uh, and two this year. Uh, Oklahoma, that looked pretty. Dylan Gabriel putting up numbers in Jeff Levy's offense. Hmm, where have we seen this before, right? Miami looked good in their debut. Uh, Marshall looked all right uh, without their running back. Uh, Michigan plays a powerhouse non-conference schedule. Uh, Yeah, I mean, UConn, Hawaii, uh, Colorado State with a new coach. (laughs) That's not all their fault, though. Remember, uh, UCLA was scheduled to play them, and UCLA backed out. So part of that is, part of that's on UCLA. Regardless, I mean, you just beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Like Michigan can afford a, a week non-conference schedule because they, they got to play Ohio State and Michigan State and Penn State and Iowa and whoever. Like they, Michigan can do that. BYU whooping South Florida was a little bit shocking. I mean, I knew South Florida was going to lose, but not by that much. Damn, uh, Damien Hernandez. Yeah, you you are right, my friend. You are right. That was uh, something that I did not expect here. Uh, looking at the. I mean, they, and they they whipped them quick, too. I mean, it got it got ugly fast in this game. Uh, looking at the drives, yeah, both had eleven. Uh, BYU, I mean, they just, whew, seventy eight percent of their available yards they they gained in this. <laughs> it's just brutal, just ugly. I mean, if if you're Jeff Scott, what are you going to do, right? I mean, he has got major issues there. Uh, I thought they'd be better with Gary Bohannon at quarterback. Uh, and they were not. I mean, Bohannon, eh, you know, you look at some of these numbers, it ain't great. He he only ran the ball three times for 28 yards, uh, threw it 30 times. I don't know if you want Bohannon throwing the ball 30 times. Don't think that's a, a great idea. Uh, Puka Nakua played for BYU. I, I noticed that last night, and, you know, Part of the reason why I picked uh, South Florida against the spread here, didn't think they would win, but I thought, you know, they could keep this to like 10 points because I thought BYU might just want to get in and get out with a win. Because I thought that the two, like Romney and uh, Nakua, I thought they were probable, and if BYU got up a little bit, then they wouldn't play them. But they played them. They were awesome. So didn't didn't do a ton, but... uh, but still, like the most important plays in the game, like, oh, just so crazy. Just crazy. Uh, Jimmy Horn Jr. returned 89 yards for a touchdown. That actually got US, USF some points here. Um, I don't know. It's it's so, it, the interception, of course, returned for a touchdown. Like, it, this game got out of hand so fast. So fast. Uh, USF fell off harder than any Big East team uh, other than UConn. Uh, yeah, they they've really. I mean, this has really just happened in the last few years, right? Uh, it kind of it started under Charlie Strong, like Strong came in and inherited a really good roster that Willie Taggart had built that that won like ten ball games, right? Charlie Strong, I think, won ten ball games in his first or second year, and lost all those seniors and did not replenish the stock at all. I mean, just rough. Uh, big ounce. What were your thoughts on UConn? They're looking uh, better, surprisingly. I think that Jim Mora is a pretty good coach until 
uh, he wears on everybody, from what I've been told. So that's like, yeah, you you have instant returns. Uh, he made over that roster. I think they've got like 40 new guys on that roster from last year, so it's not even the same football team. Uh, so it's not super surprising. Troy held it uh, within the spread with Ole Miss. Uh, Ole Miss, a running team. Zach Evans was awesome. Uh, Jackson Dart, okay. Got some things to work out. Tulsa going on the road, losing at Laramie. Like, Wyoming looked like hammered dog crap last week <laughs> against... Uh, uh, against Illinois, and of course everybody rushes to bet against them. But man, there's something about Craig Bowl and and playing at home, and also Tulsa losing Joe Gillespie is a massive deal. Like their defense could not stop uh, a quarterback that went five of twenty for like thirty five yards or whatever it was last week. So yeah, just a a rough situation for Tulsa there. Uh, Troy, I think. Like, Troy impressed me. Their defense is is not that bad. And when I say not that bad, I mean they're actually really, really good. It's I think this could be a top 20 defense nationally by the end of the year, just based on raw numbers, of course. <laughs> um, Texas State goes to Nevada, and, and you guys saw Nevada last week against New Mexico State. Yuck. Uh, but they get hammered in that game, and this is probably going to be Jake Spavitol's last year. Um they cannot stop the turnover bug even with getting a new quarterback. I think they had four turnovers in this game. And Nevada just scored on every one of them. Brutal. Georgia Southern, no more triple option over there. Clay Helton doing big things, 59-7. to Now it is Morgan State, so let's just kind of keep an eye on that. Uh, USC had multiple interception returns for touchdowns against Rice. So that was something. Uh, I was way wrong on FAU. Uh, they had the turnover bug as well, and their defense could not stop me. Like Ohio, which, by the way, let's talk about the stats on Ohio here. Tim Albin uh, passing the football more than he runs it? Like, this is not Frank Solich's offense. But Tim had been running that offense forever. So who was actually running the offense? I don't know. The Rourke kid, who is the brother of the other Rourke kid, uh, surprised me in this one because he had not been great, and he came out and showed out in this game. He sure enough did. Uh, Kentucky had some issues early with Miami of Ohio. Um, their running back room is not good without Rodriguez, and that offensive line could not get a push at all. So that's something to keep an eye on going forward because I think Florida's going to beat them this next one. And it's in Gainesville, so obviously, you know, they'll probably be favored by a little bit, but there were a lot of people that just kind of chalked that one up as a W, and I think Kentucky is not excited about going down there. I will tell you that. Uh, Coastal Carolina and Army. This was a fun back and forth. 38-28. to 28. Uh, Coastal, turns out, you still got that dynamic quarterback, Grayson McCall. You're still running Jamie Chadwell's offense. You're going to be pretty good. So Coastal gets a 10-point win over Army. Now, obviously, you're doing it on the teal field, so that's fun. That's a, that's a good thing. Um, what else have we got here? Tulane, yeah, I picked Tulane to have a massive turnaround this year. They uh they whipped up on UMass. Don Brown's debut, the former Michigan defensive coordinator, former Arizona defense coordinator. Uh, Louisiana continues on even without Billy Napier, twenty four to seven. Alabama fifty five to nothing over Utah State. I mean that was brutal, brutal. Um, 
Mississippi State 49-23 to over Memphis. Uh, there were points in this game where Mike Leach was obviously pretty irritated that Memphis was calling timeouts and whatnot, so he kept throwing it even late. But that's one of those games that had one of those big-time delays. So, yeah, it is what it is. South Carolina, Georgia State, uh, don't let that final score fool you. I picked South Carolina minus 12 and a half, uh, minus 13 at, at certain points. But that one, uh, that, was, that was defense and special teams. That's what that was. That was not that offense. Uh, Spencer Rattler and and all those receivers, et cetera, they got some things to figure out. Rattler with the two interceptions, making my blood rise, uh, my blood pressure rise every time he did it. Yeah, just rough. A lot of people were picking North Texas. Uh, they got walloped at home by SMU, forty-eight to ten. So a successful debut for Rhett Lashley. Texas fifty-two to ten. Quinn Ewers. I, I don't know if you guys saw the tweet or not, but. Uh, <laughs> Quinn Ewers had his like his car was towed in the middle of the game, so <laughs> very interesting. But uh, but they get a big win, fifty two to ten, heading into the game against Alabama next week. Texas Tech sixty three to ten over Murray State, and we just mentioned that Tyler Shuck uh, out with a collarbone injury. So who knows? Probably Donovan Smith. Now Louisville, you want to talk about the most disappointing team of the weekend? Good gracious, uh, Louisville beat these guys like a drum last year. It was 41 to 3. Syracuse beat them 31 to 7 this go round. Robert Anai is a miracle worker. He just is. He and Jason Beck both because the numbers that Syracuse was able to put up. It was not just running the football. They were able to use the short passing game as a running game to go along with um what they were already doing running the football. Like a 57% success rate and that Louisville. I mean the Louisville defense. So I texted uh, uh, Kyle last night, Kyle Hunter, who's on the, the Bet US show with me, and I said, if if we had set odds as to who would be the first coach fired between Dino Babers and Mark, uh, uh, not Marcus, um, Scott Satterfield. Mar- Marcus Satterfield is the uh, South Carolina coordinator. Uh, Scott Satterfield. If we had set those odds as to who would be the favorite to be fired first. Dino Babers would have been like a minus 400 favorite. And a loss like this from Louisville, that defense was putrid. Like, here's here's something that you can look at. Syracuse. This right here. 8.33 yards per drop back. That is Syracuse. With a quarterback, Garrett Schrader, that is not a good passer. He never has been. He wasn't good at throwing the football when he was at Mississippi State. He is known as a runner. And yet, 8.33 yards per dropback. I mean, just, that's that's 92nd percentage. Like, un, unreal. Just ridiculous what they were able to do. And Louisville could not finish drives. They couldn't finish drives, and they couldn't stop them. And I just look at the total EPA here. Syracuse plus twenty one point two, Louisville minus twelve point zero one. This went so off the script that I was that I was expecting. They looked, they, yeah, salt of the earth jumps in. Louisville looked completely lost. Their defense, they had. There's one play. Um, I think I tweeted it out last night. But there's a play where the linebacker is watching the play, 
and you can see it developing. Like Schrader is going to run into the end zone. And you see it developing, and he gets impatient, and he's looking around, and he just decides to run to a side. It was this uh, this number 11 kid, and he runs into the pile, and Schrader just has a wide open... I mean, it was mind-blowing to see how lost these guys were in this game. Uh, and I ended up having to turn it off at one point. I mean, it, it's when it... When it got to 24 to 7 is when I turned the game off because I could not deal with it. Couldn't deal with it. Natalie jumps in. Congrats on winning first round of Three Dog Thursday. Yeah, I'll be back on Three Dog Thursday on BetUS TV this week. I'm uh, I'm excited. I went 3 and 0. Um Brian Edwards I think went 1 and 2 and right now TJ is 0 1 and 1. So we'll see we'll see what ends up happening with them for sure. But yes, uh, moving along, we'll uh, we'll hit on just a couple more. Boise State, whew. I I picked Oregon State to win this game when I was doing my previews, and then the more that I talked about them and and kind of went over this team, I went backwards on it and I picked Boise State against the spread this week. L- luckily, I did not have a bet on it or anything like that. I just had people that were asking. Um, but yeah, I was way off Boise with three turnovers in that first half, and it just it went downhill quick. Uh, Washington State again going to be a really exciting team to watch. Twenty four to seventeen with that new quarterback Cam Ward. Washington with a competent offense looks completely different. Forty five to twenty winner over Kent State. Uh, I love Michael Penix in this offense with Kalen DeBoer. Obviously, when Indiana had success a couple of years ago. It was with DeBoer as the OC and with Penix as the quarterback, and now they're both at Washington. So, Western Kentucky, 49-17 to over Hawaii. I said it last week. I will say it again. Uh, it is going to be a long rebuild for Hawaii. It's, I mean, just because this ain't a great Western Kentucky team. Like, <laughs> Western Kentucky beat Austin P 38-27 to last week. Hawaii at home didn't even put up close to that and could not stop Western Kentucky. So it is what it is. All right. You guys have been absolutely fantastic. I appreciate all of you for watching the show. Please share it out. Tell your friends about it. All that good stuff. I will be back here every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Eastern time, along with the Tuesday show and Thursday show. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll come out on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. So I, I was saying Monday morning, uh, uh Wednesday morning and Friday morning, but we're going to get them out as early as humanly possible. Don't forget the BetUS College Football Show, where we have done big things to start off the season. Make sure that you go subscribe over there. There is a link in the description for that. Also, this show, Winning Cures Everything, is powered by BetUS. That is where the game begins. It is America's premier online sports book. Go give them a visit at BetUS.com. Make sure that you sign up, etc. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you've not already. Salted the Earth, great show. I do appreciate that. You guys have been fantastic. You guys are awesome, and I really appreciate you for watching on week one. It is my first year of doing the recaps in a solo setting, and I am excited about it. I want to see us grow. I want to see it continue to do big things. Uh, so hopefully you guys do as well. With that said, let's go ahead and dive out of here. Uh, go ahead and tell your friends. Make sure you subscribe, like this video, and, uh, and jump in the comments afterwards. Let me know what you thought of these games because uh, I'm just one man. I, I would love to hear some critiques. I want to hear some differing opinions. All right, you guys do what you do. Take care of yourself.
take care of each other, and hopefully all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to Winning Cures Everything. Make sure and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, and make sure to leave a nice five-star review. You can follow Gary on Twitter, at GaryWCE, and the show is at Winning Cures. Be sure to check out the merch in our web store and share the show.